Miss Jessica, I'm the worship pastor here. Let us stand to our feet. Merry Christmas time. We're going to worship Jesus. You guys ready?
up in this room, fill this church as we go out with our, just our weeks and all the areas that are touched, Lord, that your, just your presence would go before us, just draw near to us.
Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so grateful that we are yours. We are so grateful that we can remind ourselves this morning that we belong to you, that it's not because of what we do, it's not because of what we will do that you love us. Lord, you came to us. You came to us and we belong to you. Jesus, we are so grateful. Let this be a reminder to our souls. Whether we are lifting our hands from a place of faith in the midst of a struggle or from a place of praise, from the victory side, Lord, we know we are yours. We belong to you today and we give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor belongs to you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. Whew, it's so good to be with you guys this morning. You can take a seat. My name is Kara, and I'm one of the pastors on the team here. Um, and I'm just so excited that y'all are here. If you came in uh, this morning, you have seen that it is officially Christmas around here. Um, we have lots of trees. We have lots of lights. I love it. Um, and so it is uh, so exciting to be here. We are expectant for what God's going to do in our church family this Christmas. Amen. Um, when you came in this morning, you received a handout, and inside of that handout was a card that looks like this. We talk about this card a lot. It's our connection card, and if you call over like your home, you know exactly what to do. This is our best way to communicate, care for you. If you have prayer requests, put that on there. If your information is updated, please put that on there, and just it's the best way every single week. If you guys would, would help us out and fill this out, we just want to know that you're here. We want to pray for you, so please go ahead, fill that out, and then you can put this in the buckets as they're past at the end of service. But if this is your very first time here with us, welcome. Um, what I want you to do is also fill this card out, but then hold on to it. And then instead of putting in those buckets, when you leave service today, there's a connection center right outside. I'm going to be there, and I would love to receive that card from you, switch it out, and give you a little gift, just our way of saying thank you so much for being with us today, okay? Um, so there's that. Um, also, when you came in, you're connection card was in a handout. On the front of that, you'll see we're starting a new Christmas series. It says longing on the front of that. And as a church, we want to recognize that this is a season of joy. It's also, for some of us, a season that is marked by pain and by loss. And so what we do is we're offering a lament service tonight at 6 p.m. in the chapel right here. And it's just going to be a safe space. If you want to come and process, if you want to come and sing, Pastor Jessica is going to be leading us in songs of longing and songs of lament. And it is a safe space to come and be together and just be. If we're experiencing loss and longing and grief around the holidays, um, this is a good, a good place to be. So, so please come. Please invite somebody um, that, that the Lord might put on your heart. Um, and that's going to be tonight at 6 p.m. in the chapel. Okay? So let's do this now. I'd like to invite you to all stand with me, and we're going to take a moment and greet those around us. Go ahead and do that. Wonderful to be with you today. Welcome, Overlake. I love you. It is such an honor to be here. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And uh, I would love to invite you to grab your notes out of your handout. I'm a little out of breath because I just ran down from that space. And apparently that's all it takes, from that space to here, and I'm out of breath. <laughs> all right, give me a minute. Okay. Uh, you grab your notes out of your handout, and we are, as Pastor Kara said, launching into a new series longing, and we're talking about different things that we long for all along this season, and it'll culminate in our Christmas Eve services. So uh, we really invite you to join us as we journey through this, this December, and welcome to invite friends and family to join as well. But you'll see from, uh, from your notes that we are starting this whole thing, longing for the past. And as we begin, I would love to invite you to think 
sort of like as a mental exercise about what it was like to experience Christmas as a child, okay? Think about your childhood and think about the days leading up to Christmas. Specifically in my life, I think about from December 18th to December 24th, right? After school gets out. And that week took about 10 years to get through, right? All of this anticipation and all of this longing and, and there was so much hope and there was so much magic everywhere we looked and it's interesting how there's this golden haze around our memories and it impacts how we approach this season. So I want you to think maybe do you have a specific favorite Christmas or a favorite Christmas memory, something that was really, really special that just cemented itself in your mind? Think about that as you watch this video. The first Christmas, I don't remember too well, but the second Christmas, we got Ferris Eiffels for Christmas. And that's the first time I ever rode a bicycle. Oh, of course, Christmas dinner. Yes, I love the turkey and the ham and the stuffing. <laughs> and I'm not a great lover of, of, um, of Brussels sprouts, no. <laughs> I would have either spinach or cabbage. I would, but there was Brussels sprouts there, all right, yeah. But most important then, when that was cleared away then, she'd put a, pour a drop of brandy over the pudding and put a match to it. But the pudding used to be lovely, yeah. Not like nowadays. It was really pudding. You could nearly taste every curtain and every suntan separately, yeah. So far I can remember one Christmas Eve. I suppose I was about six or about that. And um, I went to bed, I was asked to put to bed early. And then I did stay awake. And then, I don't know what time, of course, but this person came in with a red suit and a big, long, white beard. <laughs> and I opened one eye <laughs> and then left me a horny train. And um, that was a lovely, lovely memory. I'll just tell you, I could spend all day with that guy. That, uh, I, I, was, uh, I just want you to think about that favorite Christmas memory. I was talking to an, an elderly couple. They were actually children during the Great Depression here in America. And, and, and the, the wife was um, relating a story to me of her childhood where one Christmas... What she remembers is there was an orange in her stocking. And that orange that was placed in her stocking was the only Christmas gift she received that year. But to this day, decades and decades later, she can just remember how special that was. And how sweet that orange felt and what an extravagance and luxury it seemed to her. And, and I bring this up because I want you to understand there's a reason why traditions are so important for us. There's a reason why, and the reason is because what traditions do is they solidify our experience and, and they, they build it or lock it in to our memory. And friends, as humans, we need this. As we age, we go through the years, we need help with our memory. And I, mean, I don't know if I can get an amen for that, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm 49 years old and I've just noticed this lately. I'll, I'll walk into the kitchen or I'll walk into my home office and then I'll, I'll think, why did I come into this room? What was, what, it, it, show of hands, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, oh, you, we feel our, each other's pain. This happened on Tuesday. I was, I was in my home office and I thought to myself, oh, I need to ask Liz a couple of questions. There are three things I needed to talk to her about, so I, I got to shoot her an email. So I sat down, started composing the email, and before I had listed the first thing, I forgot it. And so as I'm sitting in my computer, I'm like literally thinking, I'm racking my brain, I'm searching this suddenly cavernous, empty warehouse of a mind that I have, and I, oh, I finally find it. And so I, I write it up on the thing, and as, by the time I was finishing writing the first thought, I had lost the other two. 
that was my story. And I, so I just want you to understand how important it is for us to build these traditions in order to solidify and to plant them firmly in our memories. And it's a way we create identity. It's a way we create culture within our families. One of the traditions I've shared before that we've done as a Howerton family is our kids, when they were just preschool, kindergarten, early elementary, what they would do is on Christmas Eve, they would write Santa a little letter. They would each write Santa a little letter and they would put it next to the milk and the cookies that he would have a little midnight snack with. And, and so every, every Christmas Eve, Santa would reply to those letters. Uh, it was, ironically, it was always right after the 11 p.m. service here at Overlake Christian Church, but Santa would reply to those letters and, in disguised handwriting. And, and so what we've done is we've saved. We saved all of those little innocent questions and the kindergarten handwriting from the children and then all the answers that Santa gave to their questions, you know, how do reindeer fly and how do you get in our house and all that stuff. And, and, and so we would keep all those. And we put them inside the, our edition of Polar Express, right, the, the beautiful book that we have, Polar Express. And even though my kids are now teenagers and, and you know, they're way too cool for school, every year there's a time when they just put aside the snark and we sit around the fire and we have cocoa and we're by the tree and they'll read those questions and they'll read those answers and they'll just have kind of a memory. That, that's just a part of how we celebrate Christmas. Right? Traditions have the power to do this. My friend Kellen and I were talking about this concept, and she told me, and I'll just read you her, her thoughts because they're so beautiful. She, she said, with my mom being gone, I now take on the responsibility of doing Christmas for my nuclear family and for my brother and dad. This means I do things like decorate three different trees, double up on her holiday recipe foods, coordinate everything. I spend a lot of time during the season trying to hold on to her for myself and for the rest of my family, upholding traditions for my brother's and my dad's sake, and also to help connect her to my girls. The majority of our traditions are because of her. It feels like a lot, and always my friend's response is that I don't have to do it all, but it's also for me. The longing for the past is a longing for my mom and our relationship. The traditions sometimes simultaneously accentuate longing and satisfy it. She says, the sacrifice of time, leisure, and comfort is worth it to uphold the tradition and feel connected to her. I'm always brought to tears when the trees are done. It's late night on Christmas Eve, and I'm by myself standing in front of the trees, thinking of her, thinking of my childhood, thinking how she should be here with my girls thinking how thankful I am for my family and how much I miss her. Isn't that beautiful? But what a powerful way that tradition can bless us. And to a certain extent, I want to say that we all have histories that include the same type of sentiment that Kellen expresses. It's our longing for the past as a, as a longing for innocence, a longing for relationship, a longing for the magic of the Christmas season, or even just a rekindling of the reality of miracles in our midst and God's love for all of us. And so we do things. We do things like decorate, we feast, we snap pictures. I mean, friends, have you ever wondered why it is that we feel the pressure to snap the perfect picture with all of our loved ones wearing the perfect outfit in front of the perfect decorations, right? Have you ever thought about what's driving that? There's this pressure that's put on us around this season. And, and I just want you to understand there's so many ways pressure comes. The first way it comes is through commercials, through media. For example, last season, I don't know if you remember this, but a major ad campaign was this, win the holidays. That was the slogan, win the holidays. Well, friends, if you can win the holidays, you can certainly lose the holidays, right? And that's, that's pressure right there. Or think about some of the Christmas carols that we sing, and, and they're fun to sing, but we don't realize the hidden pressure that's contained within, like, it's the most wonderful time of the year. There's pressure. If it's not the most wonderful time, we're doing something wrong, right? And it's pressure. Or there's this one line in A Christmas Carol that says, we'll tell of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. Man, that's pressure. I better make this good because my kids are going to be talking about it forever, right? So we've got to know that there's this pressure going on. And so, so we, you know, we kind of force ourselves to get the silver bells and the corn for popping and the chestnuts roasting by the open fire and the candle canes and the silver lanes all aglow. And we do all of this in order to snap the perfect picture. 
and prove that this was the best Christmas ever because if you don't put it on social media, friends, it never really happened, okay? That's the joke, Christina. That's what we feel like. If we don't post it on social media, it's not real somehow. And that's part of the pressure. You know, one of my favorite movies is A Christmas Story uh, with the lead character of Ralphie, and it's set in 1940. And it ends, by the way, show of hands, how many of you are familiar with this movie? Anybody seen this? Yeah, it's one of the movies we watch every year as a family. But it ends with the sentiment that all is right with the world. As the snow falls outside of his bedroom window, Ralphie falls asleep with his arm resting lightly over his beloved BB gun. And we long for these picture-perfect memories to lock them into our psyches because there's magic in the air back then and we long to experience a bit of that magic right now. But I want to assure you, friends, that this longing for the past, it's not just our culture and it's not only this season that we find it taking place in. I want you to think for a moment about the longing that was expressed by the tribes of Israel as they wandered through the desert and the way that they looked backward to Egypt and the way that they were able to lose sight of the miracles that God was doing in their midst and on their behalf. And because of that, you might remember that God commanded them to build monuments in order to memorialize the work that he'd done so they would, they would not forget the miracles that had happened within their midst. I want you to remember that God also gave them Passover as a yearly celebration. This was a tradition ordained by God that would allow them to remember his goodness and his rescue. And so establishing monuments and traditions in our lives should be a thing as it helps us to remember God. My friend Kevin told me this story this week that that God met him on a beach on Whidbey Island in the year 2005. And it was the year a bomb dropped in his life and, and God met him there on that beach. And so he revisits that location every year at around the same time in order to remember, in order to thank the Father for his blessing and for meeting him there and for healing him at that place. And that was an experience that redirected his path that he's never going to forget. And this brings us to our first fill-in, if you're filling in the blanks today, and that's remembering is actually a type of praise. Our remembering, if we're intentional about it, can actually be a form of worship for the blessings that God has poured out in our lives. Psalm 103 is a psalm of praise, and it it talks about how good God is and how many good things he's poured out into our lives. But there's also a challenge contained within it. And this is the challenge in Psalm 103, verse 2. It says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Could you circle the phrase, never forget? May I never forget the good things he does for me. And I want you to understand that the reason why the scripture contains the challenge to never forget is because we are prone to forget all the time. We are prone to forget God's goodness all the time. We are prone to forget the good things that he's poured out into our lives all the time. And I just want you to understand this reality. This is a little bit more of an objective reality. But every single one of us has been blessed by God. Every single one of us has experienced the provision of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God. Every one of us. I don't even care where you are on the spectrum of faith. That's true for you. And it's also true that every one of us has had challenge. Every one of us has had trial. Every one of us has had heartbreak. Every one of us has been hurting. That is also true. So we've had good things come in our lives. We've had difficult things come in our lives. Here's the problem, and this is why the scripture says what it says. It's because as humans, our default is to focus on the negative. Our default is to focus on the things that bother us, the things that are challenging, the things that trip us up. And so we spend the majority of our time looking at this dark and difficult reality, and we think the whole world is dark. And so the scripture says, no, never forget. Like tilt the the scales a little bit to a more even place where you can see the goodness of God because that's also true all the time. And it brings us then, if if we're able to get there, it brings us to the place where remembering 
God's goodness, remembering the past, we can remember to worship our Heavenly Father. So remembering is actually a kind of praise. And it brings us to the next fill-in. And it's a reminder that even the arrival of Jesus occurred within a longing for the past. Even the arrival of Jesus, Messiah, God incarnate, occurred within this general longing for the past. And I don't know exactly what this is all about. I don't know how it is that we're wired as humans or what causes us to be like this. But it is my experience that there is this golden-hued, sepia-tone kind of a lens we put on when we look to the past. And, and we're able to look to the past and kind of have this longing for sort of the good old days or the simpler days or, or like the adventure maybe that that afforded that we no longer have available to us. I'll just give you one example. It's, it's a true story. Not too long ago, I had watched a documentary on Netflix, and I was talking to a buddy of mine about it, and he had watched the same documentary. And this was about events that happened before we were even born. So we're talking about this thing. We enjoyed this documentary. We were kind of moved by it. It touched us personally. So we're, we're just talking about this thing. And then I make this comment to him. I say, you know, I think I was born a decade too late. I just, I, I think that, that, you know, if I was born just uh, 10 years earlier, I could have been a part of all that stuff, and I think it just would have been, it just kind of fits who I am. That would have been wonderful, and, and he agreed, and we we're just talking about that, we move on. This Tuesday, last Tuesday, I'm, I'm talking to my son Caleb, who's 17 years old. He was born in the year 2002, and he and I were talking about something, and he starts to talk about the 90s, and he's talking about the skate culture in the 90s, talking about the media and the music that was happening in the 90s, and then he says to me, I kid you not, I think I was born a decade too late. I wish I was born in the early 90s, and, and of course, this time I had, you know, I'd, I'd been there, so I said to him, hey, buddy, I, I was around in the 90s. They were okay. Uh, you should set your sights a little higher, right? Like, like I just want you to understand, though, it's something about us that there's this longing for the past. So we look at the past, we, even the past that we haven't experienced, right? We just look at it like, oh, those were the good old days. And so I want you to understand that was happening even when Jesus was born. The arrival of the Messiah was filled with nostalgia. It was filled with backward looking. Because friends, remember that Messiah was going to come, and Messiah was of the line of who? A line of Judah, son of, this is what's so hard, so so many titles, son of, son of David, that's right. So Messiah was going to be the son of David. Why was that so important? It's because the entire nation looked back at the reign of David as the golden era of Israel. Right? That was when they were autonomous. That was when they were powerful in the world scene. That was when David had unified and expanded the kingdom of Israel. And so there was this beautiful sense of, you know, self-rule. There was this beautiful sense of all was right with the world. This beautiful sense of, hey, we were something back then. And since those days, if you remember the history of Israel, all kinds of horrible stuff had happened, right? They'd been conquered. They'd been exiled. They returned. Everything was in shambles. They were trying to rebuild. You know, they rebuild the temple. They're trying to rebuild their economy, but now they're, they're you know, sort of stewarded over by Rome, and, and they're the overlords. And so there's all of this longing for what? For that time when David had all of this power and glory and autonomy, and that's what they long for. So when Jesus, God in the flesh, arrives on the scene, even Jesus comes into the scene where everyone's longing for the good old days. So think about that. Now, here's the passage that we're familiar with around Christmas time, but I want you to view it through that lens. It says, for to us a child is born, that's Jesus, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Why does it say that? It's a reference to David. It's a reference to David that, that the Messiah will be this, this benevolent dictator, 
The Messiah will be this, this monarch who's good and righteous and will make things as they should be in our nation of Israel. So there's all this backward longing. And then continue the verse because this is so beautiful and it's true. And he and Jesus will be called Wonderful Counselor because he is. He'll be called Mighty God because he is. Everlasting Father because he is. Prince of Peace because he is. But I want you to understand that when Jesus arrives on the scene as the child born, as the son given, even he had to compete with that golden-hued, sepia-toned view of the past with all of his culture that he was surrounded by longing for the good old days when David was king. And I can only imagine Jesus being a little frustrated, saying, I am God in your midst. Friends, these are the new good old days, right? These days when the God of the universe has taken on flesh and is walking with you and teaching you and having a a meal with you, these are the new good old days. You could only imagine Jesus is in their midst and they're still pining for, you know, the good old days a thousand years ago, right? I mean, that got to be, and not only that, but Jesus is saying, not only are these the new good old days, I am going to lead you into the new good old days, right? That there's this longing that all of us have, that even all creation has, to to experience this new day, right? In Romans 8, 8, uh, 19, for creation waits with eager longing. Circle that phrase, eager longing. There's this eager longing that all creation has to be led into the new good old days of the kingdom restored, God's kingdom on earth established with him in our midst. And, and so this is that picture of the new good old days in Isaiah eleven six. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. That last phrase is, again, a reference to unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is given, and that child shall lead us into the new good old days. So there's that reality. But what does that require from us as people of faith? It requires us, if you're filling in the blanks, to wait on God's timing. To wait upon the timing of God. And this is a challenge Because sometimes longing for the past begins to erode our faith that God is actually doing good things in the here and now, and God has promised to continue to do good things in the future. But the scripture, you see, is filled with the promises of God and the goodness of God and the blessing of God coming in his timing. Because God has way more wisdom than we have. And God sees all of the algorithms and all of the variables. And and he's not just involved in your life. He is involved in your life, but not only in your life. It's all the other lives and how they all impact. And so we have to trust that God knows the timing that's best. Psalm 27, 13 and 14 says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You might want to circle the phrase, I will see. I will see. That's confidence. The declaration that I will see God's goodness in my lifetime. Wait for the Lord. It says, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31. Many of you know this passage. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What I'd love for you to do in those two verses is just circle the word wait every time it appears. Circle the word wait. Because there are two aspects of this word, this concept, and they're they're both powerful. So the first part of the word, the first part of the definition is patiently trust. In fact, some of your translations, if you look it up, some of your translations, instead of the word wait in Isaiah, it actually might say trust Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. So trust, patiently trust, that's a part of wait, that we have to be patient and we have to trust the Lord as we are waiting upon him. But there's another aspect of wait, and it's actively serve. And a lot of us miss that when we read passages like this. And here's what I want you to think about. What do you call the person who serves you at a restaurant? A waiter or a waitress, or you call it the wait staff. I want you to understand that that's a picture of what it looks like as well. 
In other words, while we're patiently trusting God, we're not passive, we're not sedentary, right? What we do is we are actively serving God while we patiently trust God and wait upon his timing, okay? That's the picture here because he is the one who is being patient with us. Second Peter says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. So God doesn't want anyone to miss out on his love. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on his grace. He is so patient. But friends, understand this. God does not want to give anybody a blessing that they're not yet able to handle. God does not want to pour out any blessing on any one of us that we are, we're just not ready for it. And I'll just give you one example. This is a friend of mine. I've known him basically my entire life. He's in his 70s now. And this man, when he was a young man, about 18 years old, his father passed away and left him a sizable inheritance, which sounds like a good thing, sounds like a blessing. Only my friend, as an 18-year-old, he was unable to deal with that incredible blessing. It was more than enough to get him through schooling. It was more than enough to set him up well in his life, to start whatever business he wanted to or to pursue whatever pathway he wanted. But at 18 years old, he was just unprepared for such a a blessing. And so what did he do? He actually burned through it in three years. And he burned through it living hard and, and going after all kinds of things. He actually got locked into a cycle of addiction. And that helped burn through. And then he he got into these patterns of behavior that he was trapped in for years and years. And it impacted his health. It impacted his marriages. It impacted everything about his life. And now, as as an older man, he's met Jesus and he's walking with Jesus and things are really good. He's learned some lessons that he's supposed to learn along the way and that's great. But I want to promise you that he is thinking now would be a good time to receive that inheritance. He's thinking, now, this would have been a good season as a 70-year-old. And so I want you to understand that So God knows when we're ready, when we're not ready. So when I say actively wait, actively serve the Lord as we're waiting and patiently trusting, part of that is our, our own development. Like we have to prepare ourselves. We have to get ourselves ready, our character ready, our faith build in such a way so that we are ready for the blessing of God when his timing comes. Does that make sense? And so that's what it means to, to wait upon God's timing because he knows more than we do. And he sees all of the algorithms. And so we have to trust his timing as well as the next villain, we have to trust that God redeems the past. We have to trust that God redeems the past. And this is such a powerful lesson for us. And we'll probably come back to this again and again. In Romans eight twenty eight, it says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. I want you to make sure you note somewhere in your Bible or in your margin that this does not say everything that happens to you is good. That's not what it says. But it says God can actually work everything in your life, whether you reckon it good or bad. God can put it all together in such a way that good comes from it. That good is birthed out of this thing. And so I, I want you to understand that as you read this passage, you need to keep in your mind that past and present and future are all in God's hands. And that God loves us. And no matter what has been done to us, or no matter what we've done to others, or what we've done to ourselves, God doesn't waste a hurt. And God will use whatever has happened to grow us, and to change us, and to empower us. And I want to help you with the definition of redemption a little bit, because some of us have a little bit of confusion around redemption. So you might want to write this down. Redemption doesn't mean erase. Redemption does not mean erase. The Lord redeems us. It doesn't mean he erases things from our past. What redemption means is transforms for good. He transforms it for good. He makes something beautiful and worthwhile and precious out of something that didn't start out that way. In other words, there is no tragedy you have created that God can't birth something gloriously out of. 
There is no difficulty you have behaved your way into that God cannot transform and make something good come from it. Right? That is why following the Lord is such an exciting adventure. And God brought this to mind this week, and I want to share it with you because I found it really helpful as I'm working my th way through the scripture. And it, it has to do with the name Israel. Some of you already know what the name Israel means, but sort of starkly translated, the name Israel means will slash can struggle slash rule with God. That's not very good English. Let me give it to you in slightly better English. Slightly better English is this. One who dynamically struggles and rules with God. That's what the name Israel means. One who dynamically struggles and rules with God. And I want you to understand that as you go through, let's say, the Psalms in the Old Testament, I, I wonder when you read the Psalms, if every time you come to the name of Israel, you're faced with a choice. So you can view the name of Israel just as a geographical location with boundaries. Or you can view the name Israel as, say, tribes of people that lived in ancient times. Or you can view Israel as one who struggles and rules with God. And if you do that, and this is what I've been practicing lately... It, it allows you to personify the promises in Scripture because, friends, aren't you someone who struggles and rules with God? Yeah. I know I am. And so the idea is read through the Scripture. And so I want to give you one example, and this is from uh, Psalm 130, and it's paraphrased. All I've done to paraphrase, I've taken it right out of the New Living, but instead of the name Israel, I've just substituted wrestler and ruler with God. So it says this. O oh, wrestler and ruler with God, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem you, wrestler and ruler with God, from every kind of sin. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? And I want you to understand as you look at that passage that it's his redemption that overflows to us. We are the wrestlers and rulers with God. And he himself will redeem our sin. And he'll redeem our past. And he himself will come to us. He will come near to us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. As the arrival of our redeemer. Born in a stable. He himself came near to redeem us. We who wrestle and rule with God. And that actually means that our past can be more golden and our future can be more secure and the magic of our youth can be experienced right now in these new good old days. That's what it means. Now I'll share a quote with you. I wrote this about a year ago, but I still think it's true. Every day I'm surrounded by wonders and miracles. If only I would open my eyes. Every day we're surrounded by miracles. If only we had the eyes to see them. And so, friends, as we wrap this up, I just want to encourage you. As you understand that there's a, there's a reality in our longing for the past that is actually quite beautiful. And as we remember, if we're intentional about it, it can be a form of worship. I want you to, to understand that even Jesus, when he arrived, he was surrounded by that same ethos. And he came to remind us that these are the new good old days. And, and then I want you to see that God has timing for your life that is absolutely perfect if you will patiently trust and actively serve. And just understand this, that there is nothing that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, can't redeem. Because he is our redeemer. And so I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and let's give him all the glory and the honor and the praise. Jesus, we just tell you right now how much we love you and how thankful we are that you know everything about us. And even knowing everything about us, you have chosen to love each and every one of us so much that you left the Father's side and you came to earth that you were the child given to us, that you were the son born to us. And Jesus, we just want to say now how thankful we are that you are our wonderful counselor and you are mighty Lord and you are our everlasting father and you are our prince of peace. 
And we give you the praise and we give you the glory and we ask that you would allow us to have a clear mind and a clear vision in this season on how we celebrate because we want all of our celebration to be about you. We're so thankful for you, our Redeemer. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to continue to worship Jesus together, and part of the way we do that, we're going to you know, continue to praise and worship Him, but we also do that through the giving of our gifts, our tithes and offerings. So I really want to encourage you, as Pastor Kara mentioned the connection card just a few moments ago, take just a moment and finish filling that out. Uh, you might want to update any information, or if you've never filled this card out, please just take it time, fill out as much as you feel comfortable with, and as the buckets are passed, you can drop these cards in there along with your gifts, tithes, and offerings to the Lord. You know, I, I do want to just say that that's one of the ways that we worship the Lord is by putting Him first in our finances. And you've heard us talk about this as we kind of wrap this year up, that, that we're behind our budget, and so we're all pushing hard to try to catch up. I would just love to invite you to join in with my wife Jody and I, because every December what we do is we up our giving just a little bit in order to help Overlake finish in the black. And by God's grace, we've been able to finish in the black, I think, the last 11 years straight. So I really want to encourage you, Overlake, to join us in this. And, and if you've maybe gotten behind on your tithe this year, this would be a great time to catch up. But do it understanding that we're worshiping our Redeemer by placing our finances in His care. And then He takes it, and He makes beautiful things happen for His kingdom. So, ushers, would you come, and let's continue to worship Him together.
sing it out again. Jesus, we love you. And oh, how we love you. And you are the one of our hearts adore. Wow. Uh, thank you so much for leading us in worship. I know I said that in the first service, but such a powerful moment uh, to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, worshiping, worshiping him. Um, you guys may go ahead and take a seat for a minute or two. Uh, my name is Mark Bauman. I'm one of the elders here at Overlake. And it's just been such an amazing morning. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Thank you, worship team. Um, yeah, it's... It just maybe pause for a moment and just think about that we're surrounded by the body of Christ. Worshiping him together this morning, it's such a great way to begin our day. Um... Before we uh, close out the service with some announcements, I just want to take a moment uh, on behalf of the elders uh, and just say thank you. Thank you for uh, your prayers in this transition season that we're in. Um, probably not a week goes by that one of us uh, on, you know, an elder or one of the staff members, I, I know that people are coming up to us and, and, and saying that you're uh, holding up the body of Christ here at Overlake and the leadership team in prayer, so thank you. Um, I know that at the end of October, when Pastor Mike shared uh, his news that uh, he was stepping down as lead pastor, that we were starting a transition season. And the elders at that time, we communicated that part of that season would that we would have a shared teaching team during the transition. And that's what you've been seeing unfold over the last, you know, several weeks. And, uh, and we're happy that in January, Pastor Mike's starting a new series. And uh, he would reference that um, in, uh, in October and so you'll, uh, you'll see him several weeks to kick off the year and then uh, other weeks uh, in 2020 as well. And uh, so we're looking forward to, to that series. And the elders are also really grateful uh, for the organizational leadership team. I think you've seen uh, pictures and names in the handouts the last few weeks. And on the back of the handout today, the elders' names are listed as well as the, the leadership team. And uh, they have done such a phenomenal job in this transition. I mean, they have the ministries that they lead, and then collectively, uh, they're just overseeing um, things throughout the week that help keep the ministries running here along with you. Um, so again, just thank you for your, your prayers and know that the elders and pastors are praying for you, praying for us collectively and what God has in store. So as we, uh, we look for this teaching team that I mentioned to continue while the elders pursue uh, a, success and a succession plan. And so as part of that process, we continue to press in to the Lord for prayer. We know, like I said, many of you are praying as well. And, uh, and we'll be seeking input from the congregation as we go through this process. So we'll have more on that in weeks to come. So really just wanted to just give you a little bit of an update today. So it's been a few weeks since uh, we've shared about the transition and the succession. So with that, I just would ask you to stand while I go through a couple of more announcements, and then I'll close this out uh, in, a, in a blessing. In your handout, you would have seen this card. It has some invite cards to the Christmas Eve service. And I encourage you, as you're praying about family and friends, maybe coworkers, who it is that you might invite to the Christmas Eve service. Uh, earlier today, Pastor Mike was talking with some of us, and I was reminded that you just never know in what circumstance the Holy Spirit meets people. And it could be at the Christmas Eve service uh, that someone just stirs in a new, uh, a new sort of encounter with Jesus. After this service, if you're wanting to be prayed for, if you have a praise that you want to share with someone, uh, there's a prayer team that's just ready and waiting to pray with you. And so as you go out the steps and down and turn to the left, sort of by the foot of the escalators, you'll see the prayer team. So I'd encourage you to stop there. Um, well, I think that's it for that. So let me close us out in, uh, in a prayer and uh, yeah, just bow with me. So, Father, in this season, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, as we long for the future, uh, I'm just reminded of Lamentations 3, where it says, the Lord is my inheritance. There I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Amen. Have a great Sunday afternoon, everybody.